Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dave Furman to the podcast. Dave serves as a senior pastor of Redeemer Church of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. He is the author of a couple books, uh, including a recent publication entitled Kiss the Wave, Embracing God in Your Trials. Dave, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, look, delighted to have the conversation with you. And uh, today we'll be talking about the pastor and trials. And uh, look forward to that. Obviously, you've written on that. That's a that's an issue of of great concern to you. You've written on it, but also an issue of great uh, an issue that ought to be of great concern to uh, every pastor and every minister and everyone listening to this podcast. Hey, before we get into the meat of the conversation, uh, why don't you give our listeners a brief introduction to you and your ministry at Redeemer at Redeemer Church? How long you've been there? What God's doing? And uh, just give us an update on, on the Dave Furman uh, family and the Dave Furman uh, ministry context. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for asking. I'm married to Gloria Furman. We've been married for 16 years. We have four young kids, 11 and 9, two daughters, and then two sons who are seven and four and a half. And we, as we got married, Gloria and I had a passion for the nation, had been uh, inspired to take the gospel among the least reached. And so that was very much on our hearts, very much on our agenda. We were just holding with open arms where God would have us. And about two, three years into marriage, we stopped over on a layover in Dubai. We didn't know much about it, hardly knew it was the largest city in the United Arab Emirates, and that, that's about it. And we came here on this layover, and we saw what at the time was the world's fastest-growing city. We saw that there were at least reached people groups in this city that really kind of in the center of the 1040 window that the nations were gathering in this place. And so the Lord put that seed on our hearts. It was growing and growing and growing. And we felt irresistibly compelled to move here to plant a church in the heart of downtown where we knew of no healthy churches at the time. And so we moved here 2008. And about 18 months after moving here, Redeemer Church of Dubai was planted in the heart of the old town in Dubai. And now eight years later, uh, by God's grace, our church is over 60 different nationalities. We're about 90% 90% Easterners and Africans in our church, and really at the, the heart of who we are as a church is that we want to be a corporate display of God's glory to the world through seeing local churches established. And so we've been a uh, part of planting six or seven other churches here. We're hoping to see a new church started in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, southern India as well. We started a, a seminary, and a, a training center uh, in theology and Bible here as well, and we we hope to see that as a launching pad to the nation. Ah, right, good for you. And say just again, the church itself. Tell us a touch about the congregation currently. How many folks are worshiping there? What are you most encouraged about? You know, within within your people. Yeah, we're we're amazed. We did not know what the response would be, um, and and in God's kindness, the people have come. We have around a thousand people coming to worship every weekend. And as I mentioned, most of the church are Easterners and Africans. And so we have, I think, Indians, Filipinos, Sub-Saharan Africans would be the largest groups in our church, although we've certainly seen people from the region come to faith and attend our church as well. I think in one month, just to give you some idea of the diversity in our church, in one month we saw, um, I think, uh, an Arab come to faith. We saw an Indian come to faith. We saw an African come to faith. And we even saw 
two ladies named Sarah from the Bible Belt in the U.S. come to faith. So God was even bringing Americans here to divide to the heart of the Middle East to hear the gospel and to repent and believe. And so it's a diverse church. The nations have, have gathered, which is uh, really a, a beautiful thing. It's a joy to step up to the pulpit and to preach on a weekend and to look out to the nation. Man, that's so encouraging to hear. You know, in all of us, we tend to localize our Christianity. It's so easy to think of our Christian mm-hmm. lives, uh, our families, Christian spiritual health, our local church. But to talk to you from a very distant place and hear what God's doing is so encouraging. And it is distant. So as we talk, as we record today, it's 10 a.m. Kansas City time. What time is it there uh, in your stead? Yeah, we just had dinner. Yeah, we had dinner as a family, and it's 7.13 p.m. Okay, okay. Well, there you have it, folks. All right, listen, let's talk about uh, the pastor and trials. And uh, you've written on this. Tell us a touch about your personal illness and uh, what's developed, I guess, a little over 10 years ago now in your life and uh, how that impairs you, hinders you, limits you, per se, we might say, day to day. And so before we get into kind of the theory and the the, the theology of suffering, uh, tell us about your personal situation. Yeah, well, I mentioned the church plant and the the church growth over the years. Well, my health and pain and disability really chart that same timeline, that same course. So it's been over 10 years now where I lost feeling in in some of my fingers on both arms and basically um, my ulnar nerve, one of my main nerves, doesn't work in either one of my arms. And it started a couple years before we moved. We had just made plans to move to the Middle East. And at, at that point, my health started failing. We had some surgeries, thought it was healed, and our family moved to the Middle East. I, I moved to the Middle East to change the world, but pretty soon after arriving, I couldn't even change my genes without help. Uh, my nerve disorder that had started had come back with a vengeance, and I lost almost all my arm strength, constant burning pain in both of my arms. No medication could ease the pain or lift the darkness of depression, which soon came. It got so bad. We're here in the desert, actually in a village about two hours away from Dubai, trying to learn some language, learn some culture, make some contacts for a church plant. And yet I couldn't get off the couch. I would say maybe a hundred times a day in my head, I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. My depression had Mm. really had vandalized my joy, sense of God's goodness. And I couldn't do anything. So I couldn't drive, couldn't shake hands, pick up my kids, open doors, put on a seatbelt, carry a book. Um, And to be honest, that's really the story today. So you could fast forward to today, over 10 years later, and there's really not a fairy tale ending. I still have a nerve disease. It's bilateral. And I'm unable to do most things. So you could say I'm disabled and the pain continues. Depression, for the most part, has parted by God's grace, but still there are patches of pain. And yet we've seen God use uh, weakness in, in, in many ways. Man, what a, what a moving story to hear that you have, I guess, wrestled with that now more than a decade. And I mean, the way God's still using you in his services is instructive to all of us. Uh, not to let our limitations, whether they're limitations of gifting or you know spiritual, emotional limitations or physical limitations, to uh, to prompt us to lose sight of what God can do through us. So this led you to write a book uh, entitled "Kiss the Wave: Embracing God in Your Trials." Maybe tell us a touch about the book, Dave. What's uh, what you are trying to convey through that book? Well, through the weakness that that I've suffered. We've seen pretty quickly that weakness is the way, I think Jad Packer wrote a book with that title, actually, that, that weakness is the way 
so that God gets all the glory. And we've seen God use my weakness to humble me, to exalt himself, to teach me, to teach those around me that I wasn't going to build the church on my gifting, that we wouldn't build it on the elders' gifting or even the members' gifting, um, but that, that God would build it upon Jesus and that he would be the one who gets the glory. And so I think that's really the story of the Bible, that God loves using the weak to make it absolutely clear that it's God doing the work. And so in, in writing this book uh, for believers, we tend to not see our trials that way. We tend to not see our trials as something God is using for his glory. We tend to not see our trials as, as shining the spotlight on Jesus. We tend to see our trials as something either out to get us or depress us or hurt us or harm us or something to escape or run from or hide from or, or numb the pain. And, and the subtitle of the book kind of tells it embracing God in your trials. And that really comes uh, as a kind of a further encouragement from the title, which is a little obscure, Kiss the Wave. It's said to come from a quote. We don't know that Charles Spurgeon actually ever said it, but it comes from a quote that's often attributed to him that says that I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And what Spurgeon is getting at is rather than escaping our trials, here's a man, here's a pastor himself there in London long ago who suffered intense slander. His wife, Susanna, was an invalid from her early 30s and could hardly attend church. Physical pain marked Spurgeon's life, agonizing seasons of gout. He was depressed. He was out of the pulpit for a third of the time. But a, a real clue to his perseverance is that rather than uh, rejecting his trials, he saw his trials as something to kiss. So to kiss that wave of trial that throws you, that takes you to the Rock of Ages, that takes you uh, to Jesus and to, to, to see what the Lord might be doing in and through you. So Spurgeon's advice is to, not, is to stop flailing your arms in panic for a minute and to embrace the God who has sovereignly designed your circumstances to kiss the wave to know that God has your good and his glory in mind. So I wrote the book so that Christians uh, will hopefully would be encouraged and realize that Romans 8.28 is not just a verse for a Christian greeting card, but a verse that we should have branded on our hearts, that we would know that those who love God, that God would work all things together for good for them, who are called according to his purpose. So I hope the book encourages those who are hurting to not resist God or uh, turn away from God, but to embrace God in their trials. So, uh, you know, just thinking about this biblically, theologically, flesh out for us, um, why does God allow his children to have trials? Yeah, it's hard. Lots of reasons, I think, theologically. One, of course, we, we know that, that from the fall of, of Adam there in the beginning of Genesis, that we live in a fallen world, that there is pain, there's suffering, death has entered the world, and so there's going to be suffering as a result of sin and our fallen nature in the fallen world. But then beyond that, there are plenty of other reasons. We do see in Scripture that God does discipline those that he loves. And so we, we see at, at times, due to our own personal sin, there may be some pain and suffering we go through. Um, there's also trials that we'll go through to see us be sanctified. We, we see in, in the upper room discourse with Jesus that, that, that he is divine. We are the branches and branches get trimmed and branches get pruned uh, before there's a fruit that's seen. And so at times the Lord may be drawing us near to him in our pain and suffering as well. Regardless of what the primary reason might be, uh, all of life is to grow in our holiness and to grow in our love for Jesus. And so in our trials, we 
see a prime opportunity for us to cling to Christ, for us to examine our lives and to open our hearts to what God might be teaching us. Hey, Dave, let's pause just for a moment for a word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. All right, I'm back on Preaching and Preachers, talking with Dave Furman about the pastor and trials. You know, as a pastor over the years, I have often felt kind of an empathy gap, a a sympathy gap. You know, my ability to fully connect with and relate to uh, congregants who are undergoing some personal grief or personal suffering. And look, I'm now uh, 40 years old, 41 to be exact, and I have five children, a wife. We all have been blessed with good health. Uh, I have two parents that are living in good health, um, you know, siblings that are living in good health. Uh, you know, and so I, I've often felt over the years as I've conducted funerals, for instance, especially my, my younger years in ministry in my mid-20s, I, I just felt like, man, my, my, my heart is with you. Um, I, I love you. I care about you. I, I want to be supportive and encouraging and sympathetic and even empathetic. But but I felt this this severe limitation. I guess speak to that that empathy gap that many pastors listening to this may 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 feel themselves in their ministry, and then perhaps flesh out how this great trial that you have went through and you are in has enabled you perhaps to close the empathy gap to some degree. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to to be empathetic as a pastor. We're going through. Uh, our ministry leading so many people, working on sermons. We have lots of responsibilities. There's a long to-do list, and it can be, you know, we can get into the mindset of, of trying to get things done, you know, put a check next to those items on that to-do list and then press on for another day. Sunday always comes. There's always another sermon to get done. There's always things to get done. And so I think one struggle that pastors often have is, is, is stopping, reflecting on the pain in our congregation, praying for our members. I think it starts, though, with knowing those in our church and spending time with the sheep and asking questions and just being there for them. I've seen as pastors spend time with the hurting, and really, there's, almost, there's really no other way to do this. You can't just read more. You can't just um, you know, it's not an academic exercise. I think we grow in our empathy for the hurting sheep by being with the hurting sheep. And not just a, a quick coffee here and there, but, but being in their homes, seeing them with their families, talking to their spouses, talking to their, their kids' parents, and, and, and so on, to, to get to know the situation. Oftentimes, as pastors, we just want to fix the situation, but what's best is just being there, asking good questions. And then for me, I've certainly grown. I, I, I In the beginning of this trial, I struggled with empathy greatly. I don't, I don't think I understood um, depression and understood physical pain as much as I do now. I think in, in those early days before I struggled with physical and mental health, I think I just thought, well, if you're suffering, just read your Bible more, just gird up your loins and just, just, just get after it. Just suck it up. Just work, work harder. Physical pain can't be that bad. 
depression can't be that real. And then I went through both of those things and have realized that physical pain and mental pain affects that person greatly. But not just that. What I've learned is that, that disability and physical pain and depression doesn't just affect that one person. It greatly affects all those around them. So I've grown in my empathy for it, not just that man or that woman who's struggling greatly, but for their spouse, for their kids, you know, if they're in their home, for their siblings, just knowing that that pain will affect others. And and as a pastor, to be mindful of that. So if you have someone in your church who's struggling physically or mentally, to know that their spouse is going through a great trial as well, that those kids are going through a trial as well. So... Help me to understand, and again, for our listeners as well, um, to talk through how church members, okay, so let's say people listening to our conversation, they're not pastors, they might not be suffering themselves or have suffered in an intense way themselves, but they have a staff member of their church, an elder in their church, a pastor in the church who's undergoing a a trial. Um, How would you encourage church members to encourage and support pastors or ministers or other church members undergoing a similar trial? Yeah, great, great question. Well, I think one way to answer that question would be to, to, to tell you what not to do. Um, and I think, I think I could start there. I think our initial desire when there's someone else hurting in the church is to try to be the fix-it person, to try to fix their problems to give them another acupuncture reference or another ointment that's 100% guaranteed to heal them. But when you tell someone that you're certain that your remedy or recipe is going to heal them, you may be highlighting the fact that you really have no idea the kind of issues that they're dealing with. But the truth is someone who's struggling is probably seeing doctors, they're probably undergoing different treatments. What they really need from you is that listening ear, is that empathetic comment, I'm sorry, can you help me better understand what you're going through? I think you want to stay away from being the, the fix it person and you want to be that, that, that friend, that uh, listening ear. I think you also want to be careful of, and pastors need to be careful of this, is, is just trying to explain to that hurting person exactly why they're suffering. Um, we want to be careful because we really don't know the mind of God. We don't know exactly what God's doing. Now, there are some theological truths we want to point to. We want to point to the gospel, but... You know, it's amazing when you look at the book of Job, it's amazing how wonderful Job's friends were those first seven days. They put sackcloth on, ashes, they wept with him uh, after he lost his family, his livelihood, his health. But then all of a sudden, after seven days, um, they try to fix it. You know, it's, it's been said that Job's friends were great until they opened their mouths, until they started talking and made false accusations, told Job it was his fault. But really, they had no idea what God was doing. So you don't want to be the fix of person. You don't want to try to explain every aspect of their suffering. I think it's one last thing I would, I would say is you don't want to play the comparison game. You don't want to um, com- compare their pain to something you've gone through in the past or something you've heard. So, you know, one example w- w- would be to say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. So you're talking to someone, they, they've, maybe they're struggling with paralysis, maybe they're paralyzed in their legs, and you come up to them and say, well, I know exactly what you've gone through. I hurt my leg playing soccer once. And no, of course, you, you don't know what um, they're going through exactly. If they had the same injury as you, they're not going through it the same way. So rather than being the fixed person, rather than trying to explain their suffering, rather than comparing their suffering, I think the biggest thing I could say is to be a friend and, and at a, a, 
appropriate times to point them to gospel truth, to point them to their hope being in Jesus. You know, just trying to pull this together in a way that's most helpful um, to those listening. I mean, I appreciate your your reflections here. They're they're just um, man, they're they're really moving and and very informative. Um, to the pastor, to the minister who's listening to this, and, and they are suffering. They're in a situation somewhat similar to yours. And we all have heard the old cliche in Christian circles that every believer is either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. I mean, mm-hmm. Do you have just a, a kind of a last word of encouragement or counsel you want to give to our listeners who are experiencing or perhaps will soon experience some sort of major life trial? Well, it is a Christian cliche, but I suppose it's true. We, uh, D.A. Carson has said, if we live long enough, we will suffer. And either that's going to be directly something we go through, or that's going to be watching a parent suffer or watching a child suffer. And in this fallen world, trials will come. I think my encouragement may sound obvious, but it, it, it isn't at times. We look for solace in this world. We go to our medication. We go to another counseling appointment. We sign up for another ministry, we read another book, maybe we spend time late at night Googling, just trying to see what treatments uh, could be had. I mean, early on in my nerve condition, my wife and I were, were Googling and we're looking up different treatments, trying to find different doctors. I tried all kinds of medications and acupuncture and ointments and uh, health drinks. We tried it all. And throughout all of that, finally came under the conviction that what I needed most in my life was to walk with Jesus. My greatest encouragement, it sounds so simple, it's what we tell new believers, to grow in grace through reading the Bible, grow in grace through praying. But I, I, I have in my mind the words of a man named Horatius Bonar, a 19th century Scottish Presbyterian. I keep his book, Words to Winners of Souls, under my, uh, as my mouse pad in my office. And in that book, uh, Horatius challenges ministers specifically in that book, but it applies to all Christians. He says, you will have nothing to give others if you're not much with Christ. If you're not alone with Jesus, if you're not walking with Jesus, you will have nothing to give others. And so this is both for people suffering and both for those who are helping those who are suffering, living with those who are suffering. That you have nothing to get you through that trial and you will have nothing to help others through their trials if you're not walking with Jesus, if you're not enjoying Him. And so rather than running from your trials, even though it's hard, even though the last thing you may want to do is open your Bible and read, even though the last thing you may want to do is to pray, even though the last thing you may want to do is sit through a worship service where it seems like everybody's joyful and you're struggling, the last thing you might want to do is sit across from a friend in a discipling meeting and be accountable and pray. Uh, But hurting friend, if you're listening to this, I want to encourage you to press in to a relationship with Jesus and to press into Christian community. Don't leave the church. So many hurting people end up leaving the church. Uh, press into Christ. Press into community. Sit under the right preaching of God's word. So even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't want to do it, let the gospel fuel your soul. Let good, solid, biblical preaching encourage you. Uh, stick with it and a steady diet of walking with Jesus and a steady diet of being in Christian community will um, produce fruit in your soul. Dave, well said. Listen, my friend, thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. Um, And God bless you as you continue to serve uh, through your trial. And God bless you there in the United Arab Emirates and uh, your work there in Dubai. Thank you for being on Preaching and Preachers. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.